0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, friend, welcome to the Vatican. Here, we have all of your patron saint needs. Need somebody to pray to because you're a bad comedian? No problem. Need somebody to help you out with your bees? We got a saint for that, too. Do you have disappointing children? Well, you're in luck, we have a saint for that as well. From STIs to fireworks, we've got a saint for every occasion. So come on down to the Vatican, and we'll get you squared away with your own personal patron saint. Welcome back my friend, it's your friend TK, bringing you History Nuggets every Friday. Are you ready to get biblical and spiritual up in this place? Because I am. Today, we're talking about Saint Drogo and some other very odd patron saints. You won't believe the things that these saints protect and care for. I am too excited. So let's get going. Grab your holy water, maybe some wine, because that's what I'm drinking right now. Get yourself comfy, and let's get started. Today, we're doing things a little differently. So usually, I give you the background, and then I get into the meaty bits, right? But instead, I'm going to give you a little story sandwich. First, I'm going to talk about Saint Drogo, the guy that you have seen on my Instagram all week long. Then, I'm going to give you a little bit of background information about what is a saint? How does one become a saint? And then, I'm going to end it all with more weird saint stuff. I hope it's okay with you, because that's what we're doing. So, we'll get started with our friend Drogo. First of all, dude's life started out Real rough. Drogo was born on March 14th in the year 1105 in a town called Epony in Flanders. His mother had a very tough time giving birth to him and eventually ended up needing a C-section. So unfortunately, she died due to the unfortunate need of a C-section. And Drogo's dad had died before he was born. So he started out life with no parents. But don't get too sad for him yet. His family was really, really wealthy, so he was all set. He had maids, he had people to take care of him, he had a good education, it was all right. But at the age of 10, he found out how his mom died and he was just riddled with guilt. He could not handle it, reasonably so. That's a tough thing to find out when you're 10 years old. So he begged for God's forgiveness because he thought it was his fault. So he began his life in the service of God. He did tons of charity work and really, really great things, but also he took part in a not great practice called body mortification, where you hurt yourself to show your devotion to the Lord. But if that wasn't enough of a sad beginning 10 years or so of his life, when he turned 18, he just couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't handle the guilt. He was so riddled with guilt that he sold all of his things, like everything. His house, he gave his money away, he sold his clothes. Literally, the only thing he had left in the world were the clothes on his back, like for real. I know that's a saying, like, he had nothing but the clothes on his back, but really, dude only had the clothes on his back and he went wandering out into the wide world to see where his feet would take him. And his little feetsies took him 35 miles away, or about 56 kilometers to my non-American listeners. And it brought him to a town called Seabury. And when he got there, he got right down to saintly business. He became a shepherd and he taught others the trade of shepherding. And he was really great at his job and super nice and people liked him. And he did a lot of charity work. Although he worked as a shepherd, he gave away almost all of his money. Basically, he only kept enough money to keep him alive. He was described as a holier than normal person, which is the greatest description. I also want to be known as holier than normal. And also, what is the normal level of holiness? I would like to know that as well. But anyways, his most holy and saintly thing that he did was something called by location. Basically, a fancy way to say people saw him in two places at once. One of the places being at church or doing something religious. And this was like his big first step, I would say, to his journey Of sainthood. So he was in Seabury for about six years, doing his shepherd thing, being in two places at once, being real, real holy. And it looked like things were looking up for our friend Drogo. It was going good. But life took an even more crappy turn for him. He developed a horrible hernia and a disfiguring rash on his legs. Apparently, He just became horrible to look at. Which, I mean, how bad of a hernia did he have? Because people described him as very unsightly and almost disgusting. Which is rude. Which is a terrible way to be remembered for the rest of eternity. (laughs) But regardless of whether or not he was really that horrible to look at, all the stories about him pretty much matched up until this point in his life. So after he gets the horrible hernia, after the disfiguring rash... His story splits into two. So here is the first version. People were grossed out by the sight of him and thus made him live out the rest of his gross existence in something called a cell. It's kind of like a jail, but we'll talk about that more later. The second story is he voluntarily decided to live inside this cell as an anchorite. Now, if you are uh, following the Instagram for For the Love of History, then you already know what an anchorite is. But for those who haven't yet to join the Instagram party, I will explain. An anchorite is a person who decides to live a super Super religious way of life. Basically, a room, sometimes more of like a house, is built right up against a church, and it shares a wall. There's like a window that goes from the cell into the church so that the person can watch the masses and also live their life in the rest of the cell. There's also one other window in the kind of receiving room where they can visit with guests, but they can't leave this cell But people can come visit them and talk to them through this window. When the anchorite is placed into the cell, they're given what's called the last rites. And in the Catholic faith, this is kind of a prayer that you get to prepare you to die. So basically, these people are saying, like, hey... I'm gonna die in this cell. I'm never gonna go out. Like, I'm gonna dedicate my whole life to God. But on the occasion, there were some people who could not handle this life. They went in thinking, yeah, gonna be an anchorite. Then, you know, they were like, ooh, this is really hard and it kinda sucks. So, (laughs) they tried to escape. But those people that tried to escape would have one of two options. They would either be returned to the cell by the town's authority, or they could face burning in hell for all eternity and stay out of the cell. So, you know, take your pick between the two. You know what? I might take my chances in, in the fires of hell because... I live in Japan, and it gets really hot here in the summertime, so I feel like I would be well-equipped for that kind of weather. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) But anyways, my blasphemy aside, let's continue to talk about our dude Drogo. So regardless how he got into the cell, he was in the cell, and he never left. Except for one time. But that really wasn't his fault. The church that was connected to his cell actually burned down. And the people outside that gathered around to stop this church from burning were like, Drogo, man, you can get out of the cell. It's okay. No one's going to get mad at you. I'm sure God will totally understand because the church was literally on fire. But he said, no, nah, man. I'm gonna stay in this cell and wait it out. And wait it out, he did. They found him after the fire had stopped and he was untouched. Apparently, he had been protected by something. God, I don't know, but he was fine. And then afterwards, everyone was like, oh my God, he's clearly a saint. Let us treat him as such. Woohoo, Saint Drogo, yay. And so, to honor him again, They rebuilt a cell, and he lived out his final days in that cell. So from then after, he was known as the patron saint of coffee, baristas, and ugly people. But why coffee and ugly people, you ask? Well, my friend... I will tell you. So we know that Drogo was a shepherd before he was a saint. And it was said that he could be seen in multiple places at one time. The most common was he was often seen tending his sheep and going to mass, going to church. And this miraculous ability to be in two places and multitask would lead him to be adopted as the patron saint of coffee in the 19th century. And let me tell you, if coffee gave you the ability to be in multiple places at once, I drink enough coffee that there could be thousands of me all over the world. I wish this was true. I would get so much more done if coffee really gave me this ability because I drink so much coffee. but on to why he is the patron saint of ugly people. Apparently, dude was so ugly that he scared villagers, so obviously that meant that he has to be the patron saint of ugly people. Sometimes I don't understand Catholic sainting knowledge. (laughs) Like they did bro dirty, like forever. He's like the ugly people patron saint because he had a hernia. (laughs) He couldn't help it. There was no modern medicine at the time. He couldn't get it fixed. But regardless, he is now forever the patron saint of coffee and ugly people. So that's the story of our friend Drogo. But how exactly did he become a saint? So Drogo became a saint before there was a formal sainting committee. And this was not uncommon. Towns and local areas and local churches would kind of choose a person that they thought was super holy, and then they would just make them a saint. But on January 22nd, 1588, Pope Sixtus V created the Sacred Congregation for Rites that would eventually turn into what we now know as the Congregation for the Causes of Saints. And this is the committee that makes saints saints. And so after its establishment, regular regular people could not just declare other people to be saints. It had to go through this specific committee in the Catholic Church. And I know you are just dying for me to tell you how one becomes a saint. I know. I know you are. So I'm going to tell you the five-step process that it takes to become a saint. Step number one, die and then wait five years or 1,164 years like Saint Beatty had to. Step two, Before you die, become a servant of God. And to do this, the Congregation for the Causes of Saints from now on the CCS must launch an investigation into your life. Step number three, you must have others show proof of your virtue and goodness. They have to show evidence of your works that you did, your charity, any magical things, any mystical things, any super, super acts of kindness, any calling others to prayer or converting people to the Catholic faith. Then, if everything's good to go, the Pope will give you a thumbs up and you're given the title of venerated. Step four, you have to verify your miracles. And this step is called the beautification. And there has to be proof that you can hear people up in heaven. So you're dead and the miracle cannot be a miracle that you did before you died. It has to be answering someone's prayer and there has to be proof of it. Then, if you can prove it, the Pope calls you hashtag blessed, but for real, you become a blessed person. And last step, step five, is the canonization. So you've died, you've proven that you were a good person, you've had an investigation done on you, you've proven your miracles, And now you have to prove one more miracle. So all in all, you have to prove two miracles unless... You are a martyr, and a martyr is someone who dies in like a horrible, horrible way defending their religion, or for their religion. So if you're a martyr, then you're good. You only have to have one miracle. You can become a saint, yay. So if your goal in life is to become a saint, then really, you have to get started like yesterday. You should be on it, because it's a real long process. But there are a freaking ton of saints. In fact, the CCS has given a statement saying that they're really not sure how many saints there are. There's a few books and other literature that has been published that say lots of different things. Some say over 2,000, some say over 10,000, but really the official statement by the Vatican is that they have no way of knowing how many saints there are. So we're just gonna go with what the Vatican says. Well, that is just enough of that. I know what you're here for, friend. You're here for the weird stuff, right? You want to know about the other crazy patron saints. Well, your wish is my command. So here's the thing about patron saints. There's hardly any patron saints that are just the protector or the overseer of one thing. Usually, these people have a laundry list of stuff that they are the patron of. So, I've got about five or six saints that I am gonna tell you about, and our first is Saint Clotilde, who is the patron saint of disappointing children. Apparently, he was royalty, and all of his children fought endlessly and ended up dividing the kingdom. And thus, he became the patron saint of disappointing children. But he didn't die a horrible death, so yay. Next is Saint Vitus, and he is the patron saint of oversleeping. And sometimes he does not look out for me because I oversleep. (laughs) So how did Dude become a patron saint? Well, he wouldn't make sacrifices to the pagan gods and he was tortured and then condemned to death. He was then thrown to lions so that the lions would eat him, but they wouldn't. So then he was thrown into a big old pot of boiling oil. So he did die a horrible death And just for good measure, a rooster was thrown into the boiling oil with him. And then the rooster became a symbol for Vitus. And the rooster is connected to waking up early with its cock-a-doodle-doo. And so then that led Vitus into being the patron and protector against oversleeping. Lovely. Our next saint is Saint Genesis. And get ready for this. He is the saint of clowns, movies, actors, plumbers, and torture victims. Before he was a saint, he was the leader of a theater troupe in Rome, and Genesis starred in a series of plays actually mocking Christianity. He was not a Christian. So, as the legend goes, he was on stage throwing mad shade and sick burns at the Christian faith, and then all of a sudden, he saw an angel and was like, yes, I believe, Baptize me. But this was not really a good move uh, because he was performing in front of the Roman emperor, Diocletian, at the time, and uh, Rome did not like Christians. No, they did not. So the emperor ordered him to be tortured, and Saint Genesis refused to give up his faith. So he was beheaded. So because of his connection with the theater and being tortured, that's how he became the patron saint of comedians, clowns, and torture victims. Not really sure about the connection with lawyers. Couldn't find that one. Our next saint is a lady saint. And her name is Saint Bibiana. And she is the patron saint of hangovers. Oh, yes. Hangovers. Apparently, following the death of her parents, Bibiana fell into the hands of the wicked woman Rufina, who tried to seduce her using her physical power and also persuasion. But Bibiana stayed strong and remained a virgin, and somehow this enraged the governor of Rome, Apronius? Apro- Apronianus? Okay, I-, I don't care. He was a mean guy, so I'm not going to pronounce his name correctly. But anyways, he was the governor of Rome, and he ordered her to be beaten with lead pipes until she died. Bibiana endured extreme torture with a smile on her face. And after her death, her body was thrown to wild animals, but none of them ate it. And it was said that when she was buried, mysterious and magical herbs grew around her grave. And these herbs had restorative powers including the ability to cure hangovers. And thus, she became the patron saint of hangovers. But honestly, I would be okay with no patron saint of hangovers because, uh... That's a horrible way to die. Oh, but I forgot to mention, she is also the patron saint of parishes, epilepsy, epileptics, headaches, insanity, mental illness, mentally ill people, single lay women, and torture victims. We got a second torture victim saint. (laughs) But the grand prize winner for the patron saint of the most random things goes to Saint Catherine of Alexandria. Yay! Prepare yourself, friend, for I have a long list of things that she is the patron of. Unmarried girls, apologists, potters, spinners, archivists, dying people, educators, girls, jurists, knife sharpeners, lawyers, librarians, libraries, maidens, mechanics, millers, hat makers, nurses, philosophers, preachers, scholars, school children, scribes, secretaries, spinsters, stenographers, students, tanners, theologists, the University of Paris, haberdashers, what is that, Wheelwrights, the Philippines, and Greece. (sighs) That's a list. Oh, and by the way, she was a martyr. She got her head chopped off. If you want to know more about odd and wacky saints, I'll leave some links in the show notes, and you can find pictures of all these saints on the Instagram. So now we have come to our final thought. And our final thought for today is a story about the saint who just barely made it. He honestly should be the patron saint of procrastinators, but sadly, he isn't. So this story comes from the book Saints Behaving Badly by Thomas Crawwell. And hold on to your butts, friends, because this is a whirlwind of a story. So his name is Jacques Fréchal, and he was a French playboy, a bank robber, and a murderer. He was honestly a terrible, terrible man. He fathered two children, but abandoned them both. Then, he was very upset because his mom and dad refused to pay for a yacht so he could sail to Tahiti. So, you know what he did? He planned to rob a bank. He planned a heist, but the heist went wrong and he shot and killed a police officer. He was caught and they were gonna be like, "Ah, just, you know, Don't rob banks and kill people anymore. But he showed an utter lack of any kind of guilt. And he was just generally obnoxious. So it uh, kind of spurred the judge to sentence him to death. I mean, if he wasn't such an obnoxious D-bag, then he probably could have continued on his terrible path. But no, no. Even when he was in prison, he spent his first months utterly unconcerned he did not care until he had a very powerful experience and the very powerful experience was while he was waiting to get his head chopped off surprise surprise right before you're gonna die then you feel sorry so right before he got up to the guillotine he said holy mother Mary have mercy on me and somehow he became a saint really bro literally you said sorry and asked for forgiveness at the very last minute of your life and there you have it friend that is all i have for you today as always thank you so much from the bottom of my mushy heart for taking the time to listen to this episode of for the love of history if you feel if you feel if you feel so inclined please leave a review it really helps me out a ton and also thank you for sticking with me despite not uploading an episode last week I really really appreciate it so have a great morning a great afternoon or a great evening whatever you're having have a great one and I'll talk to you in the next episode where we're gonna take a look at Flo Kennedy who kicked ass and took names for feminism and reproductive Rights. But until then, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Okay.